Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, it's uh, Newsworthy with Norisworthy, uh, but this is Jason Miller, and I'm taking over to host today. Uh, because one week from when this episode comes out, Luke's newest book comes out. Do I, do I have that right, Luke? Yeah, one week? that sounds right. Yeah, so, um, so I said, Luke, we got to talk about your book, man. Um, this is really exciting, and you put a lot of work into it. And it's coming out this month. And so, uh, so this is the first of a few chances to sort of kick around the themes in the book that you've got planned, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to have a couple friends, uh, Annie F. Downs, Jonathan R. Merritt, and Manda, I, no, I, I'm not even going to guess with her, Carpenter. Uh, they're going to talk about three of these specific monsters that we talk about in the book, just like the ideas of them. Uh, it, but this one is just kind of like, uh, welcome to the book. Yeah, so the next few weeks you've got friends of yours, and mm-hmm. today you have me. <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. Good, <laughs> okay, good. I see what you did there. Hey, before we get into it, though, since I get to interview you on your podcast, can you tell us a little bit about how you and your family are dealing with COVID? Like, what's the last few weeks been like? How are you getting yeah. through? Yeah, no, uh, we, uh, we just got back from a bike ride, which is pretty nice. Uh, nice thing to do in the middle of the day. Don't usually get a, that opportunity, so definitely grateful for that. Um, obviously, with uh, my mother's passing a couple weeks ago, the whole COVID experience has been you know, drastically different. Yeah. For us, uh, you know, before that, I felt like we were doing okay. We were like we were doing well with the self quarantine and social distancing stuff. Once the girls kind of adjusted to their new normal, and I think we're slowly kind of getting uh, sick of it. But um, yeah. and then uh, obviously with uh, you know my mom's passing, everything kind of just got turned upside down, and we're kind of getting back in the normal. But school's almost out, which will be a game changer with uh, no more homework for the kids. Or yeah. yeah, I guess it's homework, and that will drastically change our lives for the better. What, um, is it Barbara Brown Taylor who asks what's saving your life right now? Yeah. Uh, I wonder whether it's COVID or just in the wake of saying goodbye to your mom, just, is there anything that's been really just, I don't know, helpful for you right now? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty trite answer, but I mean, my wife is, uh, just amazing in times like this. Uh, I am just reminded in, you know, big, bold letters, of how lucky I am to have chosen to marry her. I mean, we got married when we were 21. Like, when you're 21, you don't know anything at all. And somehow I stumbled into marrying uh, this amazing woman who has been just a uh, gift from God to me, uh, especially during this time. And uh, so I hate to say that. I mean, it sounds kind of, oh, my wife is the best thing. But, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's not trite at all, man. No, that's that's awesome. And I would also say, you know, my kids being being able to spend time with them. I mean, when, when I first um, got the phone call that my mom had passed, my daughters all just came up and hugged me, and it was just absolutely perfect. I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better response from my kids and my wife. My wife did the same thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, utterly humbled that uh, this is the life that I have. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that, man. Um, I feel like for a typical Norsworthy episode, we, <laughs> we got into it pretty quick there. Um, but that might be fitting uh, for the book that you have coming out because um, you've got a book about sort of facing um, the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, before we get into that, though, um, you came out with a, another book uh, before this one called God Over Good. And your listeners have like one week left to get a free copy of God Over Good if they pre-order the new one, right? That's, that's very true. And my wife would want you to know that uh, it's a great book to decorate with. Wait, which one? God, God over good. God over good. Yeah. What makes a book good to decorate with? I have no idea. 
It uh, <laughs> maybe it's uh, like black and white, and so there's like kind of classic colors and hard. I don't know. Um, that's just what my wife sells uh, sells a book by saying. Just it it looks good to decorate with. So hey, uh, I mean, whatever moves the book, right? That's good. <laughs> those girls are not going to feed themselves. <laughs> okay, so how do they take? How do listeners take advantage of the deal? Uh, there is a, a link on uh, my website, which uh, I recently designed all by myself. And it, uh, you just, you, you go buy the book from Amazon or, or, you know, the problem with Baker's. that joke is it's so inside. It's not even funny. So for all the listeners, I, I built Luke a new website because oh. I'm a hobby, uh, designer. You're welcome. It looks great. In fact, I think everyone should go check out LukeNorsworthy.com. Mm-hmm. And if they love it, they should probably, you know, let me know. Okay. <laughs> if they want to find me online. I feel like we worked on it together as teamwork. We we both did a lot on it. Um, is, that, is that what happened? Okay, sure. Uh, but you, you go there. There's a uh, just kind of a questionnaire that uh, Baker's put out. That you know, you say where you got it and explain answer a few questions, and uh, then they'll send you a copy of the uh, first one. So it's pretty self-explanatory. Just hop on over the website. There's a, a, a link for it. Yeah, excellent. Um, all right. Uh, before we kind of get into the book, uh, one of the things I'm really excited about the book, um, just like as a friend of yours and like somebody who reads your stuff, is uh, I feel like um, your listeners and your readers have gotten little snippets of your actual journey in ministry uh, as a preacher and a pastor, but uh, or, sorry, as a minister, as, a, <laughs> as my brothers and sisters in the uh, in, in the world that you're in, I like to call it. Um, <laughs> it's a church Christ uh, joke, right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, could we could we kind of tick through that? Because I don't know that your listeners have ever kind of gotten the whole story, but I think you go further into that. Okay, and it's one of the source materials for the reason this book is personal for you, right? Because it's one of the places in your life yeah. where you've confronted some of these monsters. So, when did you first know you were going to be a preacher? I went to college as a psychology major, uh, trying to be just like my dad, mm-hmm. and that kind of started to evolve by the end of my freshman year of college. And part of that was like I, I you know, went to school pr- pretty young, and you know, the idea of knowing what you really want to do with your life at sixteen is you know, unrealistic. But by the end of my freshman year, I was realizing how much I loved studying about uh, studying scripture and learning about the Bible and, you know, teaching. And it just seemed like something I was, I was drawn to. So I switched my majors uh, when I transferred to AC my sophomore year. And I started preaching just a couple of weeks after that. And I feel like that, like early preaching days and this passion for scripture and, and trying to figure out who God is and uh, you know, sharing that happened, you know, I guess 17, 18 years old. You say you started preaching a couple weeks after you transferred? I, I did, yes. Yeah. So I transferred to ACU and I somehow ended up preaching at a little church in Aspermont, Texas, which is a small town, like 30 minutes outside of Abilene. And it was great. I, I pledged a, we call them social clubs, they're not fraternities because we're ACU and that's the Wildcat difference, but pledged a social club. <laughs> Uh-huh. And then uh, a week after that, the guy who was my big brother in club, Mark Powell, said, uh, hey, I, I preach at a little country church. I want a Sunday off. You're my little brother in club. And I was pledging. And so I, I couldn't say no to him. Plus, he's a lot bigger than me. And so that was my second <laughs> sermon I preached. And then it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Are, are you are you even 18 at that point? I just turned 18 at the end yeah, of August. Okay. So they're... I'm not saying that it caused people to go to hell, but the likelihood of it increasing <laughs> their chances of spending eternity in heaven, probably not that great. Or maybe if you suffer through those, you get a fast pass right oh, into it. the inner inner sanctum. 
You're saying there, there might have been some preaching malpractice going on there in the early days? Might would be an understatement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's, that's really young, though. I mean, that's really young to um, carry that responsibility and to um, get up there and do that. Uh, were you self-conscious about that? No. No, not at all. I, no. I should have. I should have been more self-conscious. <laughs> this is part of being a seven, is that you're just like, oh, that sounds great. Let's do it. Uh, I want to jump yeah, you in. You got this. And yeah. I... No, I just jumped into it because you know, I've been reading scripture like religiously every day for the last three or four years, and I had loved opportunities to serve in my church, and it was something that I was passionate about, and I I just jumped into it with uh, with both feet, and the response from people was like really encouraging, not because I was actually competent at it, but because I stumbled into great environments where people were really supportive of me, and a lot of times we look back on what helped us get where we are. And it's it's less about places and more about faces. Yeah, the, yeah. the people who are so gracious to us, the, the people in Moran, Texas, were so good to me. And I, I don't think I would have been in ministry if this little country church that you know welcomed me. And I, I started preaching there when I was a junior, and say they're my junior, senior, and my first year of grad school. And you know, without their you know generosity and kindness and hospitality towards me, I don't I don't think I go into I don't think I stay in preaching. I th- yeah, um, I think you shared the story maybe last week's episode actually with Paula. Uh, on your your guest, oh yeah, you were talking about. Um, I think you told the story of like a an, maybe an elderly woman. Is it that is it that 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 early church? Yeah, who yeah. Uh, who who just kind of like called you out and and affirmed you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I appreciate you not only listening to her views, but also mine. <laughs> in that episode, see what I did there? Oh man! Well, it's good that you're still carrying the bad humor on this episode <laughs> because with me in the host slot, I'm not going to bring it. So that's good. Um, yeah, yeah, so like, and I think that goes, I, you know, really wide, right? Like, it's not just for pastors and preachers, but I feel like one of the things the church does when she's at her best, right, is like, we become the family that looks at one another and says, here's what we see in you. Here's what God's given you. Here's how God works through you. That's like a yeah. really powerful thing that I wish I would want for everyone, regardless of their vocation or, or the kind of work they do or the kind of life they lead, right? Yeah, for sure. And that, like you said, it's outside of just being a professional minister. It's different facets of life, but having people who care about you and speak truth to your life and give you those words that tell you this is where you have not just a competency, but what you know what I think is a, a gifting or a calling from God. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, so okay, so you so you you're um, you're kind of doing the circuit, right? Like you you're serving. Um, these West Texas churches? Is there, is there, is there a few in the mix there during the college years? There were, I I preached at Astronaut, Novice, the Highway 36 Church of Christ, the Hamby Church of Christ. Uh, You know, I I interned at a couple other churches, but the main one was that church out in Moran where I was for three years. Yeah. Okay. And and then then after, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so then remind me where, how do we go from there to this, um, big sort of prestigious thing called great is it great grace bible study yeah grace bible study i had started serving there when i was a sophomore and so it's a it was a tuesday slash thursday night it changed at at one point uh thursday night bible study became a tuesday night bible study and i was able to 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 serve there while i was preaching on sundays and so i got kind of involved uh behind the scenes doing like prayer ministry and some other stuff that was like i said just behind the scenes work because i really believed in what was happening there I believed in like the whole idea of people from different traditions worshiping together because that was, mm. you know, a major 
a major pendulum swing from the churches of Christ that I grew up in, where I was told as a kid that you know worshiping with Methodists is like worshiping uh, with the Canaanites in the Old Testament. I mean, it was <laughs> right, idolatrous. Right. Yeah, dead serious. I, re- I remember my grandpa said oh, that to me, and it, uh, it it was such a reaction to some of the dysfunction of the tradition that had served me so well, uh, but it was the dysfunction that existed within the tradition I grew up in. And so I, I wanted to get to be a part of it. I wanted to serve in it. And the guy who was speaking there, uh, Matt Chandler, was someone who, when I was really young, I mean, he was, uh, he had a big impression on me. I mean, he was, I'm 18. I see this preacher who seems like really relatable, accessible to where I am. I could, I could see what it looked like for a young person to be preaching. And it, it really kind of helped, uh, you know, capture my attention or, uh, and like develop this imagination for what ministry could look like for me going forward. Yeah, so to be the guy who follows Matt Chandler, though, like that's a serious double-edged sword, right? So people don't know Matt Chandler is a like a really, really phenomenal preacher. Um, unfortunately, he's a Calvinist, but we'll, yeah, no one's perfect. We can, we can we can look past that. Yeah, no one's perfect. But uh, but a really, really phenomenal preacher who's um, you know, gained quite the reputation for being an effective communicator. And you're the guy that follows him in that position, uh, yeah. preaching at that Bible study. Yeah, and yeah. what. It, and so I had no idea he was going to become what he is today. And so I just assumed that was a, you know, normal young preacher's kind of career trajectory. Like, I, I, yeah. I didn't know that. And so I see him all of a sudden, you know, taking taking off in this, like, very public way where, you know, he's the you know, big speaker at Catalyst and all this other stuff. I'm going on, I'm like, wow, this, I, like, I didn't see any of that coming. And so it, it created a lot of... Uh, Issues for me is I'm trying to figure out who I am in light of, well, this is the only thing I can see. And, you know, life is kind of unwieldy as we're trying to process how well you're doing. Like, how do you answer the question, hey, are you a good preacher? What do you do other than compare yourself to someone else? And that's not just preaching, but that's life. I mean, the easiest thing to do with the unwieldy nature of trying to validate your existence is see someone who's around you and measure yourself to them. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, that, so that's um, so that's a nice kind of intro also into the end of the book, right? So you, you write this book now about um, monsters, um, these things that come at us with fear and the fact that there's actually like an invitation if we, rather than running from them or hiding from them, are going to confront them. And one of those monsters is comparison. Um, and then you've also, you also talk about the monster of more and the monster of success. Um, wh- why a book about these three monsters? The three monsters, they are partly derived from Henry Nouwen's three lies that we're all tempted to believe. And the three lies are, uh, I am what others say about me, which is the monster of comparison. I am what I do, which is the monster of success. And I am what I have, which is the monster of more. And so scholastically, yeah, they're influenced by Nouwen and his three lies. But more than that, I think these are the three, uh, three of the things that I've personally struggled with. These have been, you know, issues that I've had to wrestle with. And so it, uh, it's it's both on now, but also my realized experience. So I don't want to uh, like give the whole book away, but um, but you've got this really helpful framework where um, you talk about like in stories, like actual monsters, like in stories, like you know um, these big sort of external sort of physical threats are are like the least interesting monsters, and that the real monsters are these actual personal sort of demons that we fight. But to kind of get at all that, you talk about the prop, the pull, the point and how the light gets in. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of your way of taking us through like how we can think about the monsters we face. You want to um, you want to um, just sort of help us understand what that how you're using that framework? Yeah, so 
obviously I failed as a preacher because I didn't get the fourth one to start with a P. The alliterative, mm-hmm. you know, thing broke down at the end, so, you know, I, I, I lose some preacher points. But basically the idea is, uh, built around the, like, the story of Jonah, is that the story of Jonah, like, there is a big fish, which we all know, I mean, we all know it's a whale. We learned that in Sunday school, so it's true, that there's this big fish that swallows Jonah. And so it'd be easy to look at that and go, well, that's the real monster of the story. But really, the monster of the whale is just a prop. It, it, it gets the story going, but it's not the, the real monster. Um, the pull and the point, uh, and then ultimately how like it's in, are, are really what the story is about. The, the pull of the story is that Jonah's heart is being conformed to hate. Uh, God's heart is full of love for the Ninevites, but, but Jonah's heart is full of of hate. And so what's really happening, is, it's not about the, the big scary monster outside, but the 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 most dangerous thing that swallowed Jonah is the hatred in his heart. So that's that's the pull. And the point of the story, for Jonah at least, is that his heart and God's heart are not aligned. And so the point of the story is that he didn't have to deal as much with the fish that swallowed him, but that the hate that swallowed his heart. So the point is really what's going on inside. And the way that the light gets in is God's invitation to him. And so the light is this invitation which Jonah is given that says, uh, go preach to the Ninevites and love them. God's heart is full of love, your heart is full of hate, and, and the light gets in because Jonah's invited to let his heart be conformed to God's heart. Now, he doesn't accept that invitation, but it's there for him. Yeah. So, uh, I really like this because I was, I was actually, I was rereading the manuscript you sent me to get ready to talk to you today, and um, at the same time, I was like uh, working through uh, some frustrations with a circumstance. Uh, that I'm that's in my life, and um, <laughs> what I really appreciate is like, <laughs> I, I was in I was in one of those modes. Everybody gets there. I get there frequently. Where like you um, you're hurt by something, you're mad about something, you're threatened by something, and like at first you put that on other people or circumstances or something going on around you, and I can get like really worked up about it. It can like you know uh, make me anxious or like raise my heart rate. Or like I can go to bed like having that conversation in my head with the person that like yeah. I either don't have the guts to actually have with them or I'm too polite to like speak unfiltered. But it's like I'm I'm like getting you can get worked up like that. And then I was thinking about your book and thinking about this situation, and it's like a bunch of other situations in my life where if I can just like take a beat, like just hold on for a second and like invite God into that, you know, a little bit of like search me out right now, right? Yep. And then I find out that like well, okay, what's really going on here is um, I'm facing insecurity or I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling underappreciated or yeah. whatever. And like, just to like start to build that into my muscle memory that there's like the prop, the, um, the thing I think this is about. Yep. And then there's the, the real stuff going on underneath. Um, like a really, I think that's like super helpful. And, and you talk a little bit about like practice, right? And how like virtue, like the, if you take this framework seriously, it's not like, you're going to flip a switch overnight, but that like over time you're going to like train yourself to be smart about your monsters and then turn toward the, like the real thing that you're facing. Right. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you, if you let the work of God happen in your life over time, you will become a different person. One of the things I was really insecure about when I was in college is I drove this 1988 Honda Accord, which was like, 13 years old at the time and I was super embarrassed because I had this old car and at Abilene Christian it's a private school and so there are a lot of people who have resources which enable them to drive you know cars nicer than that and it really really bothered me so much that I was like super excited to get a new car and so you fast forward a couple years uh, I, I did get a new car and then 
you know, Lindsay wrecked it. Um, and so I drove this <laughs> newer car, but it was like, it was all jacked up. And then I finally got my first job. And then about a year later, I bought this truck in 2006. It was the end of the year. It was a new truck. I was super excited to have this new truck. And I thought, oh, finally, yes, I got a new truck. I don't have to be like insecure about the vehicle I drive. And I just realized that my truck now is the same truck. It's 14 years old. And so I used to be embarrassed <laughs> by having an 11-year-old car. Now I have a truck that I've literally had for 14 years. And it's at the point where people are like, hey, Luke, when are you going to get a new car? And I'm like, I, I don't need one. Like, I I'm think, good. I think I've asked you that every time I visit you. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not a good friend. Yeah, no, you're not. You're a bad influence. But it, this isn't like some, hey, wow, Luke is super spiritual. But what used to really wreck me and like had this effect on my soul it doesn't affect me the same way anymore and i don't know if there's one singular decision that changed me but i think god was doing this work inside of my heart that unbeknownst to me you know 14 years down the road i have this truck i'm like yeah i don't care that's great whatever uh, in, in the same way that it, it would not have ever been able to be something that i felt that same way about years before so just it, yeah. these things just like you, you show up and you realize oh wow this this is a new work that god has done in me and i I'm new. There's this new creation that's bubbling up, and I don't even see it. Yeah, I feel like uh, one of the underrated experiences, like about about growing up, is like not that like we get perfect or whatever. Not that we don't have. This is not like an ego thing, but like I think maybe underrated is the experience of saying, "Oh, we actually can get better." Yeah. Like with grace and help, like we can get to moments where we look back and we're like, "I mean, I have my struggles today, and the places I got to grow today." But a couple of those monsters that were getting that were getting me, you know, a decade ago, like, thank God, like, um, that God's been gracious enough to kind of walk me forward to where I can look back and say, yeah, th- a couple of those things have healed or changed. That's that's a really good thing. Yeah. And it's not like we ever arrive at like this monster free existence. But what we do have is the experience and the, the hindsight to, to be able to look back and go, this is when that monster really wrecked me. And God worked, God did this deliverance in my life. And there's going to be new monsters that pop up. Like, they're always going to be there. There's, there's a reason the book is not titled Exterminating Your Monsters. It's not called Extinguishing Your Monsters. Because what we do with those monsters that we learned to kind of put in their rightful place is, I look back on that one and go, you know, I, I don't care about this car thing. It doesn't bother me. And so whatever the next fear is, whether it's, you know, retirement or next stage of career or all this kind of stuff... I can look back and go, these are things I used to be afraid of that God got me through. And so the same God who got me through that will get me through the next one. Yeah. So um, so can we go back to the preacher story? Okay. Um, so you end up uh, at this Bible study for, uh, was, that, was that like a, how long were you the preacher for Grace Bible Study? Uh, it was like two years or so. Yeah. And is that, remind me, is that like while you're wrapping up school or after? It was, uh, I started my second year of grad school. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. Um, and then out of grad school, you go uh, work for a church. This is another story in the book. I don't, I don't want to tease everything out. But again, I like getting this story yeah. all in one sort of telling. Yeah. So uh, out of school, where do you go? I go to uh, what some people refer to as the Redneck Riviera of Panama <laughs> City, Florida. Do people call it that? Uh, yeah, I, I took the job, and one of my buddies from Atlanta was like, "Oh, you're moving to the Redneck Riviera." I'm like, "Wait, wait, what? I, I didn't know this. I did not. Uh, I, I did not realize how Alabama, that part of Florida, is." Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good people. We we are going to go back, uh, Lord willing, in two months. Uh, so much love for the Panhandle, but it is uh, if they'll have you now that they know that you call that the Redneck Riviera. Well, I mean, that's not the worst thing I say about that area of Florida in my book. Let's be honest, but. 
I was thinking more COVID corona. I was kind of thinking like that James text where it says, Lord willing, we'll go these places. I feel like coronavirus has made me like, yeah, you used to say that all the time. Maybe you should go back to it because it's kind of proven to be true. But yeah, Yeah. uh, so we we go to, uh, Lindsay and I go to uh, uh, the beautiful Gulf Coast region of Florida. Yeah, nice. Okay. Uh, You're at a church there for a bit um, and then you bump into something pretty hard when they like just look at the numbers and say they don't have room for a preacher. Is that is that kind of how that goes? Yeah, I mean, obviously every every story is far more layered than that, and it's definitely you know one perspective on it. But yeah, there was an issue. Uh, you know, we had gone through some stuff. Uh, budget took some serious uh, hits, and uh, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, the elders that hired me all resigned, get a whole new set of elders in this church of two hundred fifty people, and uh, you know, they do the math and they go, yeah, we can't afford. Um, uh, to keep Luke around, we figure he can find a job real quick. So we're gonna we're gonna make a decision to let him go. And I mean, if you just wouldn't have negotiated that quarter million dollar salary at the beginning, I know. maybe you. Maybe I know. You hey, stayed. but that that two thousand and six truck wasn't gonna pay for itself. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So 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 that and 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 you lose that job, um, Lindsay's. You just told the world Lindsay's pregnant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Avery was in the oven. She was just uh, early on in that cooking process. <laughs> yeah. In the cooking process. So um, so you go from there to plant a church, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We, we went back to uh, God's country of Texas. We're on staff at a church called The Hills, where my uh, one of my mentors, Rick Atchley, is the uh, pastor there. And they bring me on as a church planner residence, and about eight or nine months later, uh, Avery is now eight or nine months old, and we start uh, our church up in Denton that we were part of for seven years or so. Yeah. And then it's from there that you end up at uh, Westover, where you've been for how long now? Uh, five years. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, yeah, so you pull a lot out of that journey, um, since I think that's like one of the spaces, which I totally relate to, like this preacher work, like the monsters scream, especially ones like comparison yeah. and success. Um, did I so related? You talked about um, like when you're at Grace and people ask you what you do and you're a preacher, and the next question is like, how big is the crowd? Yeah. And it's such a sick, strange thing. Like, I, I know, um, I, like, I realized, too, like, when I meet other pastors, even, it makes me so sad because I'll ask a pastor, tell me about your church, you know? And I'm, like, I'm hoping they'll tell me about, like, the character of their community or the ways they practice or maybe a theological distinctive or the context in which they minister. But it never fails, you know, the first answer to tell me about your church between pastors, even, is, is often well, you know, we run about X number on a weekend or whatever. And I'm like, dude, that's the least interesting thing about your church. Yeah. But I, I understand that it's like we get trained to think that way because it's the way like a bunch of people think about the significance of a church work, you know? Yeah. It's hard for us to talk about the peace of Christ and contentment and finding your identity in Christ when we are so quick to let that number give us all those things. And when things are yeah. good, then we feel great about ourselves. When they're not so good, we feel terrible. And I think that's one of the invitations that everyone in, whether it is church work or other kind of facets of life, is to move past this, this sort of shallow number game that is so easy. Like, it's easy to grab on the numbers, to answer that question, like, how am I doing? But if you do, it's not going to let you go. Well, it's like live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, like, and you also get into, um, like, some of the, some research that like understands that like our feeling of happiness comes right. Not from like anything static, but by the feeling that we like have more than we had last year, Yep. more money, more numbers, more business, more success. And like, yeah, like that's a, that's a, that's a dark, um, 
that's a nasty monster to uh, let rule your life because like it's just never happy, right? Yeah, because you're because you always need more, and if. Yeah. If, like you're saying, happiness is contingent upon an elevation change in your level, whatever that level is, it's, I need just a little bit more. You know, the vacation last year was to, you know, the Gulf Coast of Florida, and you got to stay there for five days. Then your next one has to be, well, I need seven days, but it needs to be in Cabo. And it it just always has to kind of one up and it goes, you know, Cabo, then we're going to go to Hawaii or, you know, whatever's next. And we always just need just a little bit, a little bit more, and it won't let go of you because you, you give it an inch and it will take everything from you. Yeah, I, when you talk about um, uh, that cycle, like you need more to get the same high. I mean, the other word that comes to mind for me is is addiction, right? Yep, yep. So then you're addicted, to, like in our work, maybe you're addicted to like attendance growth, which like I don't know how we can walk with other people toward wholeness if the work itself is the place where we are yep. like nursing our own addiction to to that feeling of affirmation or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that addiction is spot on because you hear people who have, like, they're the next level up from you and you go, well, if I was at that level, then I'd be happy. But you hear them talking about someone else who's just a little bit of, above them. And it's like this never-ending cycle of, I just got to have more. And what ends up happening in this quest for more, you end up with less and less and less of peace, of contentment, of of grace and love in your heart. Like, you just, it, it takes everything away from you. yeah. All right, so you um, you can you sort of you you share some stuff in this book that's um, kind of vulnerable, like some of the insecurities that you had around the work. Uh, you also admit to using and even enjoying a snuggie. Yeah, I mean, don't don't knock it until you try. Have you ever tried one, Jay? I've not ever tried a snuggie, although I can't help but notice you've never um, you've never you've never shared the snuggie with me at your place. Like you've never let me have have a chance to try it. Well, I mean, I'm. I'm not sure you're that level of friend yet. There's a <laughs> there's an inner circle that I would only share my snuggie with. Here, All right, that's fine. Yeah, no, my brother gave it to me, and I thought it was like I'm sure my brother gave it to me because he got it at like a, a white elephant Christmas exchange gift kind of thing, and something he did not go out and buy it for me. I guarantee it. But he gives it to me, and I didn't throw it away. And one day, like I'm, as all like bad decisions happen, like I was. I was a little bit lonely. Uh, I was a little bit cold. Like things were working against me. And it was next to my reading chair in my office because I just thrown it in the back uh, of my office there when I got back from uh, Christmas. And I, I put it on. And at first I thought this thing was the dumbest thing in the world, but I put it on. It's got a nice little like pocket where you could put your phone in it. And I could you know have the, like, the functionality of like a sweatshirt, but I had the like full body warmth of a blanket. It was pretty amazing. And the only reason I used it is because someone gave it to me as a gift. I never would have bought that for myself. And that's like uh-huh. that's the difference of, of life when you understand things as a gift. If, if you receive as a gift, you don't ask questions, you don't evaluate, you don't measure it, you don't do a, you know, a comparative analysis of other options out there. You don't, well, you know, if I made a quilt, it would be like you don't do all those things, but instead you just receive it. And that posture of, of grace, of receiving all things as a gift changes how we experience life. Yeah, I think, um, like, I think it's in that same passage where you kind of, you're working out, like, like, it's like the grasping versus the open hand. Yeah. Um, and I, another reason I'm pumped about your book, especially right now, is I think, like, COVID is a really interesting time to face some of the monsters. Yeah. Because I think, like, for a lot of us, um, if you were a little bit afraid of scarcity before COVID hit, that might be really raging right now. Um if you were um 
if you needed the sort of growing success in your work to tell you you're okay and then your work flatlined because of COVID, that could be really scary right now. But in general, like I just feel like COVID can do one of two things for us in, like in general. And by the way, I don't mean to make light of like, like some people are really, really in danger economically or physically or whatever. And for I, don't, sure. I don't mean to like diminish that. So if you're anxious right now about your situation, I get that. But it just seems like COVID is one of those experiences that we're either going to like get graspier, like more and more taking, or it's going to take us the other way. And we're just going to realize all we can do is have an open hand and realize like the good days and the bad days and the days when our bank accounts are growing and the days when they are shrinking. Like we're like, we're either going to like run from the monster or we're just going to face it and be like, we got to learn how to have an open hand toward all of this. Right. For sure. For sure. I, I, I think monsters put the fur, flesh and skin upon our fears and fear is like the source matter that all monsters come out of. And so while monsters, obviously they're, they're fake, but the very real thing that's underneath them is super abundant right now. And so now more than ever, those fears are going to have a way of, of presenting, of overcoming, of intimidating you. And like you said, there's two options. Like you, you either can let those fears dictate who you become and where you go, or you can go underneath the surface, move past the prop and figure out the way that the light can get into it. And I, I think the good news for us is that God is with us in all things. And we don't need to run away from those things. We don't need to hide. But we know that God is with us. So I think the message of Christianity is an invitation for you to step into the dark in the same way that the, um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's true just for, uh, just as true as it is in John 1 about Jesus, as it is of what can happen when you let God take you into the dark parts of your heart. So, um, so how do you think about, I'm curious, like as a preacher, how do you think about, uh, so, um, all right, you confessed your Snuggie. I'm going to confess something. Hmm. I listened to Joel Osteen the other day. (laughs) 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 And part of me was like, yeah, all right. Like, yeah. Like, um, so like, for example, you know, and by the way, I'm not like anti Osteen. I like, I think he's. He's got his work and I have mine. And, um, but like, you know, I feel like he's kind of big on God wants you to have more. Like, yeah. And there's something good in pastoral about saying maybe you, maybe you thought that God is against you. Like God's opposed to you. And I'm here to tell you God is so for you. Yeah. That God, like, so there's something there, right? Um, so how do you, how do you as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, how do you think about like, um, you know, in your book, you quote Rohr, who says that Protestant Christianity sort of really struggles to like go into the darkness. Yeah. So you want to you want to be a pastor who takes people into the darkness, but you don't want to. I think you're, we probably also don't want to just be like prophets of the gloom, um, because there's a lot of hope and joy and goodness. And like when I hear oyst, oh, oh, oysting, oyster, when I hear oh, there's a pearl oysting, in an oyster. Nice. Yeah, there's a pearl there. When I hear Osteen, I think there's something something he's saying is true. I, I feel like there's other things that are also true that need to be kind of added to the mix if we can kind of get the whole picture. How do you think about like week to week, um, like the people who are like learning from you and listening to you, do, do you consciously think about like holding these things in tension? No, no, I, I get that. I think that Joel Osteen in some ways is like a parent to a lot of people that didn't ever have a parent, specifically a dad, who would tell them, you can do this, you're going you're gonna to achieve, and you're going to succeed. And in some ways, Joel is that person who uh, 
is telling you something like a basic message. And so I think that's a basic message that, that all of us need to hear. But I think it's like an entry level message that, and I don't know that the entire catalog of what Osteen's doing, but the message of you're going to do this. God wants good for you. Like that's an entry level message. I think, I think the second level is that God wants more and God wants good for you. Even if that means you doing uncomfortable things. And even if it means you carry your cross and even if it means denying yourself and even if it means giving up your life, because the good that God has for you is more than just the surface level good that we are so easy to look to and go, this is the right definition of good. What God says is that even in death of theirs in life, that it's better to give than to receive. So there is like this the second level wisdom on what good and better is that Jesus offers us. Yeah, like maybe to say that like um like yeah, God wants good things for us, but the best thing that God could want for us is who we become. Yeah. Which is which is better and bigger and deeper than what you attain or what you acquire, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a cross in the middle of your theology or it's yeah. problematic. And so all definitions of good have to have a cross in it. And I think who you become, it, it has to go through a cross. Like, that's how we get there. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. I like that. Um, hey, tell me about, uh, so this is your sophomore album, if you will. Oh, there it it's is, a, yeah. It's a music thing. I'm not sure if, if you know what that means. But uh, uh, what's it like writing your second book? What did you learn from the first one, um, writing it and releasing it, putting it out in the world, that shaped your approach to the second? That's a good question. There is some idealism when you put a book out the first time that uh, often becomes dashed. Uh, that <laughs> the idea, like it is going to be the singular book that changes the world, like that's that's probably a little bit overstated, and it's kind of a you know rookie move. I, I think Rachel Held Evans said this: that the goal at first is to publish a book, and then from there the goal is to publish a good book. Yeah. Okay. And so I think, I mean, they're different books. I'm trying to do different things. I think the first one, though, helped me figure out where my voice is trying to go. And I think I'm getting closer to what my voice is. And I think the first book gave me confidence to kind of do some ridiculous stuff that's kind of who I am and that, like, it's how I'm uniquely wired. (laughs) Uh, So I'm grateful for that, uh, that there's, like, some comps. Okay, you can kind of just be you in this, and that's fine. but uh, like your like your sense of humor really comes through, and I give you a hard time about it, but I love it. Mm. Like your sense of humor is all over the book, and I'm really glad that like it's your voice and not like that. That's not stripped out. Yeah, go on. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna say. About it. <laughs> but also, it's it's obviously the sense of humor, but that like, that's kind of entry level. It's like the more it's like I feel like this is the like the, the picture of the work that God wants me to do. I think that's the, like there's a a human element, like this is who I am and that's in the book. But I think more than that, like there's a divine element of being able to, to follow like the lead that I feel like God has given us and given me and to be able to chase that down and to follow it is I think something I'm learning to do in the book as well. Yeah. When you talk about the, the path for writing for you, I, I think this is probably the case for everyone, right? But like when you get into your vocation or your work, um, like, at the end of the day, that too is just a journey about getting back to who we really are, right? And learning how to bring that to the world. Um, I, and that's where I really, maybe more than everything else, like really deeply connect with the heart of this book is just, um, you've got this line, uh, well done on this. You say, our truest self is remembered, not created. And I think you're saying that uh, 
that all that all these monsters they might look like they're here to threaten us right but that like that every one of them is an invitation to kind of let the thing that it provokes right like like let us like help us keep figuring out who we were all along right like who god made us to be and what we have to offer yeah yeah i I think this is all going back to the idea that you know god creates us and god creates us well god looks at us and says this is this is good and i think underneath it all the invitation is to get back to that and i think the way of the cross is to believe that in death that life can come out on the other side of it and it's true for jesus i think it's true for us and as we learn to you know, die to ourselves, die to these fears, die to the influence they have on us. I think what emerges is the truest self that God has for us, and I think that's where, uh, hopefully, you know, my writing process. I mean, obviously, when you're writing, I mean, there's so many monsters of insecurity and and you know, self doubt that you have to wrestle with. But at the bottom of those, hopefully, is an understanding of who you are more clearly as you wrestle with those things. And I think that's the journey for all of us, no matter if your vocation is writing or being a pastor. I think, you know, being a mom, I think it's being a salesperson, I think it's being a teacher, all those things, I think, are are forms in which God can use to get us to who God created us to be in the truest and most uh, honest way. Yeah, I love that, man. Well, um, uh, thanks for the gift of this book because I think it's going to be really helpful. I think I think the book's going to be helpful for anyone who, who actually like really identifies with these monsters of comparison or more or success. I also I also think it's going to be really helpful for anyone who, um, who's kind of tracking on like whether it's the Enneagram or like you name it. I think a lot of us are rediscovering right now that that following Jesus is in a lot of ways at its heart the invitation is to come back to who we truly are. Yeah, and um, and for anyone who's just hungry for more of that journey, I think this book is going to be a really helpful tool uh, for anyone going in that direction too. So, um, oh, thanks, man. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, Jay. yeah. No, I, I'm really, really glad it's going to be out in the world. Um, and now is the part. This is my favorite part of the job because um, I think your listeners should get their hands on the book, and I think they should um, help other people find it. So, like, obviously, buying the book is a great way to support the book. Um, but there's a couple other things that people can do too, right? Like, do I understand right that Amazon reviews are a big thing? Uh, you understand the same way I understand it. So yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, Amazon's so, where people buy everything. And so a good rating yeah. on there is very important. Whether you're yeah. buying a pair of hair clippers like I did during the coronavirus or it's a book. They, people like the good reviews. It helps them make a, a decision. Yeah. And, and like there's thresholds, right? I don't know if people know this, but like it, it's really true on Amazon that like, a book that hits 50 reviews, it just sort of triggers some of the, the Amazon stuff that makes books more visible to people who might be helped by the message of this book. Really? So, um, I honestly yeah. didn't know that. It makes sense. Yeah. But, so there's an algorithm about how many reviews and where it gets placed on the site. Yeah, and I'm just getting this from like publisher blogs and author blogs. But yeah, um, so like it really matters. Like not only is you know, a good review a good thing, but... Um, since, you know, there's a, just a mountain of content out there, um, you know, for the right content to find its way to the right readers and the people it's going to help, it really helps to get those reviews up. So I'll call yeah. out your listeners and um, uh, get your hands on the book. And then the next thing you got to do after you read it is head to Amazon and give it a review. And yeah. that's also just another way to help other people find their way to this. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. Else? That made me think of, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. I, I know you're running this thing. But that reminds me. I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. I'll allow it. My, I think my mom posted one, and she tried to make it sound like she wasn't my mom, but in doing so, she sounded even more like my mom, and that was on the first one. So that, uh, 
Yeah, be unique. You know, figure out how you can post multiple times on Amazon. It would be appreciated. <laughs> no, hold on. I, I'm not. I'm not advocating uh, fraud on Amazon. I'm just. I'm just telling you. I am. You're listening. I am okay. advocating that. One hundred percent. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. No, I mean and you, know you and is you your significant others and book. your yeah. Whatever, and the, and, the, and the sequel is going to have to do with uh, the monster of deceit. That's good. Sure. Fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, so anyway, so we just can get their hands on the book. Uh, if they pre-order it in the next week and um, go to your website and fill out that, that little form, they can actually get your first book, uh, which apparently, according to Lindsay, is great for decorating. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is a little bit like telling... <laughs> it's a little bit like telling... Uh, a songwriter that their music makes great background music or something like that. Yeah, that's that's marriage though. That's that's marriage. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but anything else that we should know about uh, could, what this book can do for us or how to get behind it? Well, I'd also say there's an audible version. You can get that. So if you've ever been like, you know, I really like what Luke says, but I find his voice to be really annoying, this is your chance because someone else did the uh, recording of Wait, the... Somebody, uh, somebody else read your book for audible? Yeah, they did. I, yeah... I'm not, I'm not happy about that. Well, whatever. It is what it is. But yes. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, now I want to go listen just for the, <laughs> the head trip that's going to be. I, I figured out who the guy, I saw literally this morning, the name of, his name's like Axel something, which I was like, oh, this is great if it's Axel Rose who read it, but it's not. And I tried to figure out what his voice looks like. And so I did like 30 seconds of digging and couldn't find it. And then I just moved on with my day. But yeah, you can get it on Audible because I know not everyone likes to actually uh, physically read a book, but you could uh, have it read to you. It's on Audible. Go do that. So what I like to think about is um, you have like two kinds of, you have two senses of humor. You have like the most dad pun, awful preacher humor ever. You're welcome. And, and then you have and then you have super dry, sarcastic, like it takes a minute for people to know you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> How is someone else gonna pick that up? Yeah, that's I, I really want to know <laughs> the guy who read this. Like did did he get the jokes? <laughs> oh gosh, I didn't even and there's a song that I kind of write out in uh like the first or second page. W- what is he gonna do about that? Will will he sing it? I don't know. Uh there's only one way to figure that out. We all got to go listen to it. That's right. Yeah, oh, it's the go monsters song. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. looking at it right now. There's no, there, there are no monsters in insert daughter's name's room. Yeah, yeah, there it is. That's, that's <laughs> oh, truth. That's awesome. Uh, all right, Luke. Well, uh, thank you for giving this gift uh, to us. I really mean that. Thanks for writing this book and um, sharing it with the world. And uh, I'm really stoked for people to get their hands on it. It comes out May 18th. And if they pre-order before then, they can get their hands on God Over Good. And the next few weeks... We're going to get to hear from uh, you and some others kicking around the themes on this thing. Right on. Jay, thank you for doing this. One of the things about uh, befriending your monsters is it's always good to have a good friend who's willing to help you face those. You've been a good friend to me over all these years, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for the time you took to, uh, to do the podcast, to read the book, and uh, to support it. So much love. It's very much appreciated. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, I'm a pleasure, man. Thanks, dude. All right, I'll see you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.